lift our voices. this morning please first Samuel chapter 17 think about your favorite all-time Bible story your favorite all-time Bible story just think about it did something come to mind have you got something Um, now here's another question why is that your favorite don't answer out loud but think about it why is that your favorite is it the story itself is it the action and excitement Uh, is it the characters in the story Uh, Is it the lessons that the story uh, involves? And then think about for a moment, when did you first hear that story? Uh, When were you first exposed to it? Maybe it was in Sunday school. Maybe vacation Bible school. Maybe at a Bible camp somewhere. Or maybe it was uh, when your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa would take out the children's Bible story book in the evening, maybe before bed, and they would read the story to you. You know, some time ago, I asked for some help and some sermon planning and uh, looking down the road. And I gave you a simple questionnaire. Maybe some of you remember it. And among other things, I asked you to list your favorite Bible story. You remember I gave you that slip? It's been a long time ago now. Uh, And so some of you turned that in. 
And the most popular story that I received back on the slips is the one that we're kicking off this new series with today. A series, as you see, that we're calling simply Favorite Bible Stories. And the favorite one was David and Goliath. And so we're going to look at David and Goliath today. And you'll find the story in your Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you haven't already, please find it. But to kick off the series, I want to do something a little bit different today. I want to read the story to you out of a children's Bible story book. Now, we'll get to the Bible in a moment. Don't worry. Uh, we'll be in the Bible proper. But first, I want to read the story to you in a children's Bible story book. And I'm going to read to you from Phil Smouse's My Best Ever Book of Bible Stories. Okay? And I'm going to read to you the story of David and Goliath. Now, I know some of you are real mature and you're real formal and you, you know, just let's just all relax for a moment. And you can just kind of in your minds, I pretend if you it's been a long time since you picked up a children's book, you just kind of relax and just let yourself go a moment. And you can just kind of pretend that you're still younger and you enjoy Bible stories out of a children's Bible story book. And you can listen this morning like you would when you were a child, because there's something about a good story, isn't there? And it's even better when it's a good story from the word of God. So let me read to you the story of David and Goliath from my best ever book of Bible stories, Phil Smouse. Bigger is better. Yes, bigger is best. When you're bigger, you're better than all the rest. For as everyone knows and can gladly recall, when you're dinky and small, you don't matter at all. Is that what you're thinking? Is that what you said? Is that what's been running around in your head? Well, just settle on down in your chair or your bed with your mom or your dad or your great uncle Ted. And I think if you listen, you're going to see that big isn't always that what it's cracked up to be. Two armies were gathered on two distant hills, but the army of one gave the other the chills. Both armies were fuming and ready to fight. And it looked like at any time now they just might. When what to their wondering eyes did appear... But a creature so terrible, mean and severe that each man in God's army, each soldier in spear was French frazzled with fear from the front to the rear. He was biggeth and talleth and largeth and higheth. He stretched from the ground straight up to the skyeth, armed to the teeth, both above and beneath a big, burly Philistine giant, Goliath. You want to see the picture? There's an advantage if you're in the choir. You get to see the picture better. (laughs) But this was no jolly green ho-ho-ho boy. No, this was a nine-foot-tall search-and-destroy boy. A steaming mad, armor-clad, Oscar the Grouch with a burning desire to make you say, Ouch! Yoo-hoo, boys! Goliath spat. Come out and play, I brought my bat. You say you're all fuming and ready to fight. Then put up your dukes. Have at it. All right. So they put up their dukes, everyone, one and all. But their dukes were all saggy and baggy and small. And they knew that if they made just one pip or we squeak, he would round them and pound them clean into next week. Okay, I'm reasonable, sensitive guy. And I see, said Goliath, you're ready to cry. So I'll make you a deal. Yes, here's just what I'll do. Here's a special one time only offer for you. I'll fight for my army, just little old me, against one of your men. So then who will it be? Yes, that will be lovely. Oh, that will be fun. And there won't be a mess to clean up when we're done. Come on now. What's the matter? He bellowed and thundered. Please step right on up and get clobbered and plundered. Don't want to get dirty? Still frozen with fright? Well, then maybe your mommies will come out and fight. Y'all aren't asleep yet, are you? (laughs) So some of you are listening better in church than you have in 20 years right now. (laughs) So night after night, after day after day, on and on went Goliath the very same way. And for 40 long days on their side of the hill, they just stood there like statues and took it until... A wee tiny fellow, so dinky and small, that you'd hardly believe he would matter at all. Wandered into the camp and just happened to hear all the fee fi fo fum that he filled them with, that had filled them with fear. 
Just who does this Philistine think that he is? Said that dinky small dude with that big voice of his. He's insulting the army of almighty God. But he'll do it no more over my own wee bod. Well, now, that kind of talk turns some heads right away. No, that's not like the thing that you hear every day. So when word got around that wee dinky small dude was shipped off to the king who was coming unglued. Yes, the king was upset. And why shouldn't he be? He had to whip someone as big as a tree. Oh, but when he saw David, his tummy flip flopped. His heart sunk down to his sandals and stopped. They needed a hero, a fighting machine. But Dave looked like he couldn't whip a sardine. This kid was a tadpole, a peewee, a guppy. We need a he-man, said the king, not a puppy. Now, pardon me, son, you're a cute little tyke, but we need a King Kong, not a boy on a bike. My name, sir, is David, and if I may say, said the wee tiny guy in his extra large way, that I've beat up a bear and I've clobbered a lion and whipped them both good, sir, without even trying. For God is my strength, and although I'm quite small, by his might and his power, Goliath will fall. You say you need someone who's manly and tough. Then come over here, king, and I'll show you my stuff. Well, aren't you a spunky, young, godly, good guy? All right, said the king. Let's go give it a try. So the king gave we David his helmet and boots and his shield and his sword and his giant proof suit. And he figured that David was ready to fight when, in fact, he was locked down and frozen up tight. I can't fight like this man. I can't even see. This might work for you, but it won't work for me. I said this before, but I'll say it again. It's God who will fight and it's God who will win. So David debuted, disrobed and undressed. He untangled all of this cankerous mess, bolted down to the stream, gathered five smooth, small stones, then took off like the wind bent to rattle some bones. Hey, giant, David yelled. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Hey, I'm telling you just what I'm going to do. You've insulted the army of Almighty God. Now you'd better get ready to swallow some sod. Well, Goliath looked down just below his left knee. Oh, and what to his wondering eyes did he see but a wee teeny fellow so dinky and small that you'd hardly believe he could matter at all. What am I, a dog? thundered mean old Goliath. That you send me this wee teeny not very highest Pink peach fuzzy pup with a stick and some rocks. Ooh, I'm shaking the whole way on down to my socks. Well, then fight like a man, rumbled dinky small Dave. What's the matter, you sissy? Come on, make my day. This battle is God's and in God's mighty name. On this day, I'm the hunter and you are the game. And so out came his sling and then in went a stone and we dinky small Dave In a way, all his own slung it round and around and around and about. And that one tiny, smooth, shiny pebble flew out like a photon torpedo, like a lightning its head. And it bopped old Goliath right in the head. My word, said Goliath, you are a good shot. I was going to duck, but I guess I forgot. Why is everyone spinning? Who turned out the lights? Is it nap time already? Oh, well, nighty night. And right there in that spot, in the blink of an eye, that gigantic, enormous, big muscle bound guy went as soft as a Twinkie. He pitched and he yawned and fell down with a crack. Fat head first in the sod. You can puff yourself up. It won't help you at all. For the bigger you are, then the harder you'll fall. But when God is your strength, you're a hundred feet tall. Even though you're the smallest we person of all. The end. Now wake up. Well, I'm fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
So now we've read it. It was a delightful, by the way, delightful recounting. But let's go to the Word of God now, and we'll see it laid out before us. And I want to walk you through the passage and learn some lessons today uh, here in 1 Samuel chapter 17 as we think about favorite Bible stories. Let's begin reading there at verse 1, and we'll walk through the passage together. We're going to learn some good lessons, and I hope that you'll take some things home. Maybe, and by the way, I want to look at this in a fresh way, not just retell the stories. But learn some lessons. Look at it in a fresh way. First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sukkah and Ezekah and Ephrus Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So get that scene in your mind now. You've got the Philistines up on one mountain. You've got the Israelites on the other mountain. There's a valley between them. And out walks the villain of the story, of course, a giant by the name of Goliath. Look at verse 4. And a champion, he was the Philistine champion, went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, he was a big dude. And in case you're not up on the ratio of cubits and spans to feet and inches, he worked in, it works itself out. They tell me that he was nine foot nine inches tall. I wanted to have a ladder out here and kind of climb up. I want you to think about that for a moment. Nine foot nine and I read proportionately, uh, he would have been somewhere at least 600 pounds, maybe as high as 750 pounds. So I want you to, to picture in your mind, nine foot nine, we'll just make him 700, nine foot nine, 700 pound giant fighting machine. He was a big, bad dude. And he's the champion for the Philistines. Now, let's pick up the story. Verse 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, 125 pounds. Just the coat of mail. And he had a bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Can you imagine the sun hitting this dude with all this bronze on him? Nine foot nine, seven hundred pounds. The sun just glaring off him as he comes thundering out. Send me a man to fight. Verse seven. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the iron spearhead, the spearhead weighed 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds, just the head of the spear. And, and, and a shield bearer went before him. There was a guy who carried his shield. I wonder how big he was to carry Goliath's shield. What a sight. Now, it's one thing to read about a fellow like that. It's one thing to see him at a distance. It's one thing to see him on the TV where you're safely between the screen. But imagine seeing him up close, one-on-one, and you not only have to see him, you have to deal with him. And you have to fight him. Verse 8. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And here's what he's going to do. Verse 9. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So here's the idea. Instead of everybody fighting, instead of a big mess, instead of all the people dying, you pick your champion. They'll fight me and the winner takes all. You'll be our servants if we win. We'll be your servants if you win. And it says in verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy. Now that's a key word in this. I defy. Watch out for that word. I defy, as we read, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, the natural choice of the man, I think, and many scholars should have been King Saul. By the way, you remember back King Saul? He used to do shampoo commercials, remember? He was head and shoulders above the rest, you remember? He was probably the tallest dude in the Israelite army. And he was the king. And he was the leader. 
But what's their response? Look at verse 11. When Saul, notice it mentions his name. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Their response was terror and fear. Skip down to verse 16. We'll pick up the verses we're skipping in a moment. Verse 16. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Now, children, you correct me if I'm wrong, but 40 times 2 is still 80, right? 80 times he defies them. 80 times he comes down challenging them. Send someone to fight me. Send me a man. And 80 times, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, the Israelites are like a little sad puppy dog. They put the trail between their legs and they crawl off in fear as the army's being defied, as God is being defied. Notice there's no faith. Notice there's no turning to God. Notice there's no courage. There's no one to face this giant Goliath. Now go back to verse 12. Now, David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. Now, Jesse says in verse 13, his three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab and the third Shammah. In verse 14 says, listen, David was the youngest of the eight. And scholars tell me he was probably a teenager at this time. Hadn't quite reached 20. He was a teenager when this is going on. And it says the three oldest followed Saul, verse 15. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. What does that verse mean? That he occasionally went and returned from Saul. Remember back in chapter 16, if you remember the story of uh, David and King Saul, that an evil spirit came upon Saul and they had to find someone that could play music to soothe him. And David was the one that played the music that soothed him. And it appears that David would come and go as Saul allowed him. And when he wasn't helping Saul, he was back taking care of the sheep. You can read about that in chapter 16, verses 14 to 23. So here you have eight sons. David's the youngest, probably a teenager. He's not an actual soldier in the army. He's a servant of Saul on and off as Saul needs him. But when he's not doing that, he's keeping the father's sheep. Now look at verse 17. Then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dry grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news to them. I mean, he he didn't have direct TV or dish network. He couldn't get a report on what was going on. The only way was to send David, send some food, send some supplies, get a report and bring it back. He's concerned, obviously, about what's going on. Verse 19. Now Saul and all they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Verse 20. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Now, I assume this is day 41. I assume this is day 41. For 40 days, Goliath has come out, challenged them. No takers. I think this is day 41. And Goliath puts on the same record that he plays every day. And he sets the record playing. And this time, verse 23, then as he talked with them, there was the champion The Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. But notice the next four words. So David heard them. I don't think David was around, obviously, the first 40 times, 40 days this went on. But he heard it this time. Same speech. Same result among the army. No takers. Except this time David heard the words. Verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And don't you think that fear built day by day? 
I mean, the first day you're afraid, then the next day. And here is this giant hurdle, this giant, literal giant that you cannot overcome. You think you can't defeat him. You're, you're cowering in fear. The fear is growing. I imagine with it is despondency and everything else. And it says in verse 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to. There's that word again. Defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should? There's that word again. Defy the armies of the living God. And all the people answered him in this matter, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. So you see what's going on, obviously, is that Saul's not going to fight him. And so what Saul did, he said, listen, if there's anybody who will go and defeat him, I'll give you my daughter as your wife. I'll give you exemption from taxes. I'll give you honor and all these things. Will anybody do it? And of course, nobody would. They said to David, have you seen this fellow? Saul said that whoever defeats him gets all these things. And David says, now what again? What are we going to get? Now mark it down. If you're going to live for God. If you're going to stand for God. If you want your life to count for God. You're going to face folks who are going to try to discourage you. Mark that down. If you're going to live for God, there are going to be those who are going to try to discourage you. And right away in the story, we have two instances back to back where David faces discouragement. And by the way, here's the interesting thing. The first discouragement that comes, it comes from David's own family. One of his own family members. Look at verse 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother. His oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, now I want you to notice his words to his brother. Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? It gets worse. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. What's David's response? He simply asked two questions. David said, first of all, what have I done now? <laughs> you think you ever said that growing up among the eight? What have I done now? He's the youngest. What have I done now? Then he says this. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? He faces this discouragement right away from his oldest brother, from his own family. And then right away, more discouragement comes. It's one thing to face discouragement from your brother. Now he's going to face discouragement from the king himself. Look at verse 30. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, King Saul. And Saul sent for him. Verse 32, then David said to Saul, and I want you to put yourself in this situation. You have King Saul, maybe he's seated in his tent. There he is. He didn't know what to do. He's in this quandary, 40 days, probably day 41. Nobody's fighting Goliath. He doesn't want to fight Goliath. He doesn't know what to do. And they say, King, there's someone here who wants to fight. And in walks a teenager named David. He's not wearing armor. He's a shepherd boy. And he walks. Saul should have been somewhat familiar with him. He's been in and out. But here's David. And here, notice what David says, verse 32. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Hey, don't be down in the mouth, king. Don't worry about it. I'll go and fight him. Notice the words, verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth. You're just a teenager. You're just a youth. And he, Goliath, a man of war from his youth. Hmm. 
Living a life of faith is not always easy. Standing for God is not always easy. But I want you to notice, beloved, that David had a heart for God. David had a heart for God. And I want you to notice here, he's not walking by sight. He's walking by faith. Yes, from a human standpoint, it would be like taking one of the children from the nursery and having them face off against me. From a human standpoint, I should be victorious. But he's not walking from a human standpoint. He's not walking by sight. He's walking by faith. And I want you to notice that everything that David is doing here is dedicated to God's glory. He was consumed with bringing glory to God. In fact, I want you to notice he was filled with faith. David is overflowing with faith in this passage. And I want to walk you through that now. And I want you to notice, first of all, faith listening. Faith listening. When David heard the words of Goliath, what did he hear? He heard the same message that the army had been hearing for 40 days, twice a day. But what David heard really was he heard a pagan who was attacking the glory of Almighty God. Go back to verse 26. It says there in verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Now notice the next sentence. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this pagan? Who is this one that does not know or follow God that he should defy? Watch it. The armies, not of Saul. The armies of who? The living God. He's defying the armies of the living God. David realized this battle was not just about the Philistines and the Israelites. It was not just about the leader of of the Philistines and King Saul. This was an attack upon the very glory of God. And this idol worshiping pagan giant Goliath was defying God. And David was not going to stand idly by. And he says... I'll I'll go, but discouragement comes. Look at your pride. Who who are you to go face? You can't face him. But listen, he's listening with the ears of faith. Even discouraging words that came his way did not discourage him from his task. Notice faith listening, then notice faith talking. Saul objects to his going. And David begins to talk about God's faithfulness. Look at verse 34. Saul just said, you can't go. You're a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. Notice what he says, verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant, notice the humility here. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock. Now, I just want to stop for a moment. And I'll just be honest. If, if it were me and I was watching and a lion and bear came, I'd say, bye bye, little lamb. <laughs> Unless I had a gun, you know. I just got a stick and a sling and a rock. (coughs) Bye bye. Notice what David did. Verse 35. I went out out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. Let me just tell you something, too. David might have been a youth and he might have been a teenager, but he was a bad dude, too. He was a renaissance man, but he could could write the songs and sing and play instruments and he could take and kill bears and lions. But notice what he says, verse 30. He's recounting God's faithfulness. Notice what it says next. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Watch this. Seeing he has defied. There's that word again. That's the idea of mocking. He's mocking, defying the armies of the living God. Now, here's a lesson you need to understand. David's faith was not just something he did once in a while. David's faith in the living God was a daily reality to him. God was real to David. God was just as real as Goliath. He was just as real as Saul. Maybe I should say it this way. I think he was more real than Goliath and Saul. David knew God. David's faith was real. And his faith had been built and tested privately. When nobody else is around, 
He's out there with the sheep. He's battling the bear. He's battling the lion. He's trusting God. His faith had been tested privately before it ever brought on the public stage. But here he is. Verse 37. Moreover, David said, the Lord, watch this. Notice where the glory goes. Not in David. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. The Lord did that, by the way, Saul. He noticed the confidence, notice the faith. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Notice the whole focus for David was God. He focused on God. Now, Saul foolishly tries to outfit David with his own armor and he tries to get him off. But 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 David throws off that armor. He can't fight in what he hasn't proven, what God has given him. Here's what he does. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand. So he's got his staff, his walking stick, his his crook there. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. Uh, Reading this past week, they tell me these rocks probably would have been about the size of a tennis ball. A real accomplished uh, uh, ones that could use a sling, could sling those things at about 100 miles an hour. One even set up to 150 miles an hour. I don't know where the radar gun was back then, but they could do it. And and, and they put these stones in the shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had. He had his sling in his hand and he went out. So he's got his walking stick. He's got his sling. He's got his stones in his bag. He's not in armor. He's not any of that. And he walks out there and David is listening by faith. David's living by faith. He's walking by faith. And he walks out on that battlefield to face Goliath. But can I say below it just for a moment? The real giant that day was not Goliath. The real giant was David. Why? Because he was giant in his faith. Because he trusted God. Goliath had his size and his armor and his reputation and his experience. But David, David had something better. He had a staff. He had a sling. He had some stones. And he had a faith in the great big God. And he walks out on that battlefield. J. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, once said, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. Well, we've got to hurry up. We've got to get to the fight. Because you are anxious to get to your hot dogs and hamburgers this weekend. So let's get to the fight. That's what you came for, right? You go to see the fight. Verse 41. So the Philistines came and drew... And began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. Here's a good looking teenage boy out here. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? You know, he had a staff in his hand. Am I just a dog that you come to me with sticks? Now notice the next part. And the Philistine cursed David, how? By his gods, his false gods. His idols. Verse 44. And the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. How's that for a welcome? Come on over here. Let me slay you and feed you to the beast and the birds. Now, remember, put yourself in David's sandals. He's got a staff, slingshot, five stones. But he's got God. And notice faith is still talking here. And I want you to hear what faith says. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have what? You've defied God. You've mocked God. I come to you in God's name. Verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know what? That there is a God in Israel. With David, it's all about God. It's God. It's God. It's God. It's God. His whole life is consumed with God. Verse 47. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save a sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he'll give you into our hands. Man, that does fire you. Makes you want to storm hell with a water pistol. You know what I mean? Just to see this faith. 
And you'll notice this faith not only inspired, not only inspired us, it inspired the army of Israel. Well, let's keep going. We move from faith listening to faith talking to faith acting. His faith is going to be put to action. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He didn't run away, he ran toward him. Then David put his hand in his back and took out his stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck the Philistine and killed him. But notice the next part. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine. This is kind of gory if you're kind of weak stomach. You might want to plug your ears. He took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And then when Philistine, boy, what you love to have been a stock a rock that day. I would love to just watch the expressions on the Philistine army. Go get him, Goliath! Wouldn't you love that? They pursued. It says, verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah shouted, arose and shouted, pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance. What happened to the, the, the agreement, by the way? If we slay you, you're our servants. No, they're running for their lives. Drop down, verse 53. Then the children of Israel returned and chased the Philistines and they plundered their tents. But David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Faith is the victory that overcame this mighty foe, Goliath. Now, the sad thing about the whole story is that for many people, including believers, they read and hear this story. And they're more impressed with the size of Goliath than they are the glory of God. And they read and hear this story and they spend more time thinking about Goliath than they think about God. And they're more enamored with Goliath than they are God. May God help us from doing that. Listen, this story is not primarily about Goliath. Nor is it primarily about Saul or even David. It's a story about God. He's the hero of the story. Because as David said, the battle is the Lord's. And so I ask you today to consider your life. I ask you to look at your life. Are you consumed with the glory of God? Are your ears tuned to his glory? Are your lips speaking his truth? Are your hands busy carrying out his bidding like David was? Are you willing to put it all on the line like David did? I mean, he literally laid it all on the line. He says, I'm trusting God. I'm going to stand for God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to fight for God. And he walked out in faith. See, beloved, this is how we should live. But alas, so many can barely give God an hour on Sunday morning. And even then they're busy looking at their watches. And they can barely do much for God. And now look at David. You know, when you looked at David, there was no doubt about whose side he was on. He wasn't dressed in the armor of the Israelites. He was not dressed in the armor of the Philistines. He's a shepherd boy. When you listened to David and you watched David and you looked at David, you knew exactly whose side he was on. You knew that David belonged to God. He loved God. He trusted God. He lived for God. He stood for God. But what about us? I wonder today, are we sending a confusing message to those who see us? And maybe they look at their lives and they wonder, are you on the Lord's side or not? Sometimes it looks like you are. Sometimes I'm not sure. I read this past week about a Civil War legend. It seems in the Civil War, there was a confused soldier. And this confused soldier, he got up one day and he put on the Confederate gray coat. And he put on the Union blue trousers. So he had blue pants, gray coat. And from his appearance, when you looked at him, it was impossible to know where his allegiance really, uh, where it was. So you know what happened? He, He went out to battle and he got shot from both sides. The federal shot him in the coat. And the, I mean, the, the, yeah, the federal shot him in the coat and the Confederate shot him in the seat of the pants. Because they couldn't tell whose side he's on. And I'm afraid there are a lot of believers today that when those who do not know God, those who defy God, those who hate God, they look at us and they're not sure whose side are we on? Are we on God's side or not? So I ask you today, beloved, where is your heart? David had a heart for God. Was he perfect? No. 
You keep studying his life and he made big mistakes, but he had a heart for God. And that heart for God and faith in God made a difference. Do you have a heart for God or not? Listen, I want to say, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what giants are in your life. Believe it, I don't know what it is that you're up against. But I read a story like this. And and I don't see a Goliath. I see God. And I see that God is worthy of my trust. And I see that God is worthy of my faith. And I see that I need to walk by faith and not by sight. Man, this is a great story. But what makes it even greater is it's a true story. And what makes it even greater than that is it's a God story. A story about God and his power and might and glory. What a mighty God we serve. Let's bow it together in prayer. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed real quickly, I want to ask you, do you know God? You can't live for God. You can't stand for God. If you don't know God. That's where it begins. You need a personal relationship with God. So, preacher, how do I go about that? You realize you're a sinner. You're lost. You're undone. You cannot save yourself. But Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died in your place. Shed his precious blood and arose again. And the Bible says if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will know God. And so if you've never done that, that's the starting point today. I invite you to come and place your faith in Christ. And then if you know God today, I want you to think about this story. And I want you to think about those closing questions I ask you. Do you have a heart for God? Do you live for God? When people look at your life, do they know whose side you're on? Are you sending a clear message, not in pride, not in arrogance, but just you're consumed with God? And you want to hear things that honor him. You want to speak things that honor him. And you want to live in a way that honors him. Do you have a heart for God today? By the way, if you've kind of slipped away and backslidden, today can be the day you come back and say, God, I want to have a heart for you. I want to live for you. I want to have faith like David. A faith that helps me to stand for you. In a moment when we sing, I want to invite you to come today and pray. If we can help you in some way, we'd love to do that. The altar's open. Father, We have been inspired by this old story. We've been challenged by it. Now, I pray that you would examine hearts. If anybody here does not know Jesus Christ, would you convict their hearts right now? Lord, bring them to saving faith in Christ. And then, Lord, for my brothers and sisters and Lord, myself. I pray your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Show us anywhere where our hearts are divided. Where we're sending a mixed message. Where we're unstable in our allegiance. And may you help us, Lord, to have a heart that beats for God alone. A heart that beats for God's glory. Do a work now that only you can do in this quiet time. And we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning, and again, the altar is open. We would invite you to come. You need to be saved today. I trust that you'll come. We'll help you with that. If you want to just come and pray today, you do that. 185, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. And as we stand and sing, we invite you to come as God leads you. 185, let's stand and sing.